Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Dear God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity to look at a larger than usual text in, in, the, in the book of Judges. And we're going we're gonna to meet Deborah and Barak tonight, Lord, and we're going to hear their story, and we're going to have a song as well. And so, God, I just pray that we're challenged and encouraged. I pray this would be an opportunity for us to, to really, we can laugh, we can cry, we can just really enjoy your word. Your word brings us great moments sometimes. And there's a lot of just irony in our text tonight, Lord. It's, it's okay to be entertained by your word. And we just pray, Lord, that, that we draw closer to you during this time, that this could be a moment where you just don't get to learn about you. We get to learn and get to know you and see how you operate. May it challenge and encourage us tonight. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We are in Ruth chapter 4, and believe it or not, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 5 as well. A reminder at the top of the page there, this is going to stay there, the rest of Judges. The Judges cycle. The Judges cycle is this. Israel's apostasy. Yahweh is anger. Yahweh's compassion. And in the compassion, that's where we get the judge story usually. And then, once again, Israel's apostasy. I hate to say it, but after these judges die, Israel starts misbehaving again. And it starts it all over and over. Okay, so we begin. We're, we're in chapter 4 of Judges. Verse 1. Come on, Joel. We're going to do all these verses. You're going to stop at verse 1. Yeah, I will. Again, again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud, 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 you pronounce it however you want, it doesn't matter. Now that that left-handed judge was dead. That was quite a story last week. The great deceiver with his, you know, his left-handed poke there. I mean, and that, that, the horrible scene where the guy gets disemboweled and all that you know, funny bathroom humor kind of thing going on there. And a great victory over the Moabites. But again, now that that judge is dead. Again, Israel does evil. So that's their apostasy right away. So we go to Yahweh's anger, 2 to 5. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. He's not going to play a big role. His lieutenant, Sisera, will. Who? Well, this guy. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haroshet Hagoyim. Because, and remember that because he's going to get chased back there, but I digress. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron, and that cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidot, so we get her husband there, how about that, was leading Israel at that time. And the Hebrew there uh, is, it means judging. So it's, the judges in the book of Judges are not going to be like courtroom judges they're going to be more leaders, and they might take the field of battle. Except Deborah, who is not going to technically take the field of battle, as it were, but she's going to be judging, like in a courtroom, just to kind of flip the script there. So she was like the traditional judge, even though she wasn't technically a judge kind of thing. But God was using her mightily. And she held court under the palm of Deborah. She had a tree named after her. That's more than I've got, I guess. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. They would later do that with David, by the way. 
That's a king's role. That's a judge role, a king's role. Prophets sometimes decided things. They come to Jesus later on. Hey, we hear you're a prophet. You're a great teacher. Settle this between us. It's like she was a person God was using mightily. This is just not some random person. And you might say, oh, is, is it prophet or prophetess? It doesn't really matter because she was serving as God's prophet. And what, is, what does God's prophet do? Speaks the word of the Lord. And especially in the time of the kings that are coming, a prophet is going to spur the king, is going to deliver the king, going to drive the king, going to be like an ox goat, encouraging the king to do the right thing. And you might look at your life and go, well, I don't think I've amounted to much. I haven't accomplished much. Maybe your life isn't about accomplishing anything. Maybe your life is about influencing somebody. If you're a parent, who are you raising? Who have you raised? If you're a grandparent, if you're not even a parent, are you able to be an encourager to someone else? Maybe that's your role. If that's the case, you're kind of like a Deborah, blooming where you're planted, and all of a sudden things are going to happen, and then boom, you react, and you act, and you do the right thing. That's, you can't ask for something better than that. That is a leader right there, recognizing what God expects and then doing it. We're going to see that not with Barack. I know we just had a president with that name. So it's kind of weird to say that name. Okay. But you know what? This guy's first. We're going to say his name. And he's in the author. He's in the book of Hebrews as well in that Hall of Fame chapter, believe it or not. So we're going to look at Barack and go, well, geez, you know, we kind of hear Michelle Obama give a speech every once in a while. So talk about Barack. And we're thinking, oh, she gets to say that. Everyone else has to say President Obama. She can say Barack. Well, we can say Barack. We're talking about the original Barack. His name means lightning, by the way. How about that? He's not. He's going to be the least lightning person in the world, but I digress. So Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger, Yahweh's compassion. And uh, yeah, we, Deborah, her name means honeybee. How about that? She is both a wife and a prophetess. Another famous prophetess is Miriam, the sister of Moses. And uh, she was a national leader who sat court, you bet. And there you go. So we're going to see Yahweh's compassion, 6 to 24. We'll start with 6 to 10. Two surprises. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali. There aren't a lot of famous Naphtaliites or Naphtalites, okay? I had a fun time one time going through the Old Testament and picking the greatest representative from each tribe and like, okay, well, Judah's hard. There's a lot of good ones. And there's a few that don't have hardly any. Naphtali has hardly any. You got this guy, maybe a couple more. But that's it. And so this guy, he's from uh, Barak, from Naphtali. And said to him, so she sent for Barak and said this, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Cicero, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Well, so the girl's going to get on the battlefield herself, is she? Well done. Barak said to her, what a mealy-mouthed line this is going to be. Barak, come on. If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Really? What's the previous judge, Ahud? The hidden dagger guy, the shove it in the guy's bowels guy. What's he saying at this point? Like, seriously? You ninny, get out there. 
God commanded you and you're going to be wishy-washy. Now, in theory, you could say, okay, he's, he's thinking, okay, she's a prophet and the kings are going to kind of do this as well with the prophets. They're going, okay, we've got to get the prophet's blessing. And then if we get the prophet's blessing, we're good. So maybe he's thinking, if she doesn't come with me, I might die. Obviously, God's not going to kill her because that's, that's like, he's, she's God's girl kind of thing, a prophet. And, and like a normal prophet be like God's guy. Okay, so maybe he's thinking that. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But it comes off awful weak here. It's like just abdicating. She's basically saying, God's commanding you, get to it. Chop, chop. And he's like, well, if you come with me, it's, I don't want to beat up on the guy too much. He's in Hebrews. He's in Hebrews, okay? God uses whatever little itty bitty faith that's there, even the little tiny mustard seed faith of, of, of Barak. He uses that. And Samson has even less faith. We're going to, he's in there too. Same verse, Samson's in there. And Gideon, oh, Gideon, same verse. Gideon, Samson, Barak, they're all in that same verse in Hebrews. Ah, Mick texted in, I wonder if this is the earliest portrayal of a woman in a lead role. It might just be. I don't know. If someone can think of that, we'll get Diana in here. Welcome, Diana. Uh, yeah, it might just be. Uh, this is just in terms of, of, of Bible history, this just might be the earliest. I mean, Eve. <laughs> Eve kind of led her husband, and, and, and her husband definitely made his own choice and sinned as well. I mean, but, I mean, he, her, but still, that was a role where, where she kind of took the lead there, and, and her curse was, your desire is going to be for your husband. It's like kind of like, right, you're going to be living for him kind of thing. But yeah, makes me wondering possibly in all literature. This is a key moment here. This is an early text, and a woman is taking the lead. This is not small. And as we go through this text, the women are going to be all the heroes. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, so I'm just saying, this is, uh, we've got here some surprises. The first surprise is that Deborah is not what we expect. She has authority. We're not expecting that. That's kind of what Mick is saying there. She's got authority over like the supposed male. We're expecting, we're expecting Othniel. We're expecting, remember Shamgar? We're expecting Shamgar with his ox goat. And we're getting kind of a scaredy Barack here. We're getting Mr. Lightning kind of being not lightning, kind of hiding behind his clouds kind of thing. And, that's, and Deborah takes the initiative. And, and honestly, the book of Judges is going to have many women taking initiative in a man's world. And this is, we're not going to be surprised by this. And so anyone who thinks God's misogynistic, Deborah disagrees with you. <laughs> and uh, Jael, at the end of the story today, uh, she's going to disagree with you as well. And there's going to be others. It's just like, this is, this is about being faithful. She stands out. And the second surprise is um, we're expecting Othniel, but his reluctance is, we're, we're not expecting his reluctance. We're not expecting that at all. Because every other judge so far has been a rock'em sock'em robot and just have at it. I mean, boom, let's do it. And we're not, we're not expecting him to be wishy-washy. But surprise. Well, the pace builds 11 to 16. Here we go. Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left with the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law. Okay, who are the Kenites? Part of Moses' family. Here we go. And pitched his tent by the great tree in 
Za'ananim, near Kedesh, when they told Sisera that Barak, Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone into Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go! Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. She's spelling it out for the man. Here it is. Go! Get on it. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? That's huge. I don't want to go unless you're going. Sucker. God is going with you. Forget me. Deborah at no time, and this is why she's wonderful, at no time is Deborah going, okay, I'll go with you. Give me your hand. Let's make it work. Come on. Come on, buddy. We're going to do it. Come on, little guy. Let's go. Let's go conquer this enemy. No. She's like, suck it up, buttercup. God is with you. God is with you. Go. Get moving. Dang. So Barak went down Mount Tabor with his 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera with all his chariots and army by the sword. As Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. That's not small, by the way. The chariots fitted with iron were the most technological advancement Israel would ever face. I mean... Those were like Abram's tanks of their day. You don't leave your tank. You, don't, you have no excuse to leave your chariot. Unless he's so afraid of his chariot, being in his chariot, he's going to flee on foot. I mean, wow, that is a sound beating. And that's my goodness. Um, but again, the Lord's doing the work here. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as there's that city name again. I told you it was going to come up. They chased him back to his hometown, Harosheth Hagoyim. And all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Wow. The pace builds. Anything to say here? My goodness. Uh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, 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 it's God. It's, it's, she's asking these kind of rhetorical questions. Has not God done this already? But it's God doing the work here. Just remember that. God, God's the one who's the hero. God is the champion, and he calls people to serve. But remember, this is God's compassion, and God shows his compassion. All right, the peace builds. I got to keep going here. Mighty Jael. Now, this is my name in Hebrew is Yoel. Her name is like the feminine version of my name. Yael. I'm Yoel. She's Yael. So she's like uh, a female Joel, as it were, in terms of the name. Okay. The mighty Jael. Her name means mountain goat. And uh, not very flattering, but who cares? Here we go. 17 to 22. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. We'll say Jael. Why not? the wife of Heber the Kenite. So all these women keep getting their husband's names, okay? But the husband isn't getting any glory. The husband's not being the conqueror here. These women are the ones who are getting the name put out there, okay? Even in a man's world where they got to tell who their husbands are, the husband's not there. They are there. They're the one being faithful. You may not feel like much to write home about some days. You may not feel like you've, you've, you've got much about you that's, oh, whatever, it's just me. No, God sees you. 
this woman is just by her tent. And God raised her up for this very purpose. And what's she going to do? And this is the key moment here. Sisera is running like a whipped dog. His army is routed. His chariots, the unbeatable chariots, kind of like Jericho's unbeatable walls. How'd that go? And he's running to a tent. What's he going to say? Jael went out to meet Sisera, said to him, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid, <laughs> said the spider to the fly. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Oh, get comfy, pal. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. Wow, Cicero, what a mighty guy. Hide in a woman's tent and have her lie for you. Dang. All right. <laughs> well, he's, he's all of a sudden not looking very manly anymore. He started off the text, no one's going to beat this guy. And he's got chariots, and now, well, now the mighty have fallen. My goodness. Uh, but Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer. This is where the text gets rated R, by the way. <laughs> a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground. So kind of like how you're, you're, you're hanging up a tent and you're, you've, you've got like you know, the little, little thing at the end. You got to put the little tent stake in there and you boop, 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 boop into the ground and it's held. It's holding the tent in place. Picture that as his head. She's holding his head in place in the ground. He ain't moving. He's dead at this point, but he's, you know, he's stuck in there. He's <laughs> driven through his head into the ground. I'm just saying. Um, she didn't skip arm day at the gym. I mean, yes, it's a soft part of your head. Okay, fine. Maybe it was a sharp thing, whatever. But that's still skull you're going through. Man, this woman's not messing around. All right, all right. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Yeah, Mick texted, jail is a, a warrior house, a tent. A wife, eat your heart out, Xena. Yeah, she's like a warrior, a warrior wife, not just a warrior princess. Yeah, jail. Wow. And she's just some unknown woman, some unknown wife. And that's just, she has nothing going for her, except she's used to, by God in serving. Uh, yeah, okay, so let's just keep going here. Um, and he died. Just then, just then. Here, here comes Johnny on the spot, Barack. Just then Barack came by in pursuit of Sisera. And Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. Man, I don't know if women, if you can have a John Wayne moment, that's like a John, that's like sauntering out. Hey, Pilgrim, <laughs> I'll show you. I'm going to show you who you're looking for here. It's like, that was just like a, I don't want to call a woman a stub. That was a stub. That was like out there kind of like, here it is. Boom. There's a new sheriff in town kind of moment. Wow. I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple. Dead. My goodness. Well, the mountain goat was, uh, you know, we kind of get the impression her, her husband had friendly uh, relations with Cicero because, you know, Cicero was expecting to find hospitality and she was a good Middle Eastern hospitality person. She's offering her tent. 
She's giving him nourishment. She's giving him a blanket. You know, she's putting him in a little cot or whatever. She was doing what was expected of her in that culture. And she was honoring her husband by opening her home for her husband's friend. And then she killed him. <laughs> uh, text coming in from Rachel. More like Quentin Tarantino moment. Yeah, it's, it's, there it is. It's like that Kill Bill movie. She's not messing around on that movie either. My goodness. Um, yeah, a little too little too late, Barack. So uh, she, you know, the irony, JL conquers two people here, doesn't she? She conquers Sisera, the enemy. She conquers Barack. She takes the honor that would have gone to Barack for killing his bro. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to kill the guy. He's mine. You know, I'm finally going to be brave. He's mine. He was led by a woman and, and the enemy was killed by a woman. Jail conquered two men to a degree in this text. Wow. Make text in such a great story of reversals, a common theme in the Bible. Yeah. That's the entire story of the book of Esther reversals. That is the entire narrative of Israel looking for the great day of the Lord where Israel is being beaten by their enemies, and one day God's going to make it all different, and a big, great reversal for Israel. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Yeah, what should have been the, the end, death? Reversal, life, conquer, the grave, done. The ultimate reversal, fully and finally. Psalm 27 makes text in, Some trust chariots and some on horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen and amen. Mighty Jail. Thank you, Jail. And, uh, and by the way, yeah, we'll get to her. Don't worry. Um, yeah, what is, what's an epilogue to our, to our chapter four here? 23 and 24. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. All right. All right. Anything else about this here? God provided... Uh, the victory. And uh, the, the, the Israelites were able to establish some supremacy over the Canaanites in the north. The hill country of Ephraim. Ephraim is the northern ten tribes eventually. Okay. We'll see Naphtali again in the gospel narrative, the, the, the prophecy about light coming to the Gentiles and, and, and Naphtali. So in the north up there where Jesus is going to eventually be from and hold his base up there. You know, Bethlehem, they go up to Nazareth, up there in Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where we're at here. Essentially, Galilee of the Gentiles up there. That's where this is all happening. And yeah, let's just say here about the conditional obedience and the commands of God. Um, whenever we have a Bible text and it has really good characters, pay attention to the characters and ask yourself, the Gospels are great for this, wonderful characters in the, in the Gospels. Ask yourself, who the heck am I? Who am I like? I find myself being like Peter a lot. You know, he had the original foot and mouth disease kind of thing. That I just, yeah, I'm Peter a lot. I'm always saying things and doing things I shouldn't do. And I got to, you know, step back and hold on a second. Impetuous sometimes. Don't be Barack. Don't put conditions upon obedience. That's kind of like we talked about last week, a yeah, but. Don't treat God that way. Was Deborah stuttering at all? Was she unclear? No, she told him twice. The second time, she's like, literally, get off your butt and get moving. 
Enough already. Go. God's got this. If you go with me, then I'll do it. See, those are excuses. Gideon's going to be the king of excuses. Young Gideon. That's coming up in the future. Conditional obedience. When you have to put conditions on your obedience, that just says a lot about you. It says a lot about your trust. It says a lot about your willingness to obey. Well, God, you, you know, you've got to come through for me because I don't know if I can do it otherwise. If that's honest, be honest. But that's just not faith. That's not trust. I mean, I hate to say it. It's just not. If that's where you're at, be honest with God. Don't, don't try to pull any wool over anyone's faces, but, but don't have this conditional obedience when it comes to God. Well, God, you know, if I get that job, God, I mean, I've got this problem in my family. God, do you know, I mean, I'm trying to lose weight. God, if you knew I've got this issue with, with my, my depression or my anxiety. God, I've got this horrible marriage. God, I've got this, whatever it is. If God has to come through for you before you'll obey him, that might be where you're at, but that's just not trusting. That's not Habakkuk chapter three. What does he say? Though the thing withers, though there's no fruit on the vine, no cattle on the pens, nothing like that, I'm still going to do it. That's like in Daniel. It's like, you know what? Our God can save. But even if he doesn't, there's no condition there. That's your example. Don't play conditions with God. Don't give God, you know, God, if you, if you just do this, this, and this. It's the old, you know, okay, God, if they make the field goal, I'll be in church on Sunday. No, you won't. Because the moment you give conditions, God, by his grace, may come through and give that to you. Guess what? You're going to pick one more condition. If that's the kind of person you are, that's the person you're going to stay be. A condition setter with God doesn't change. That, you just keep doing that. It's like, okay, well, God, now that I know you're going to negotiate with me, I want this now. You're not God. And that's kind of how my four-year-old is right now. I, I, I tell her something, well, you don't love me. Seriously? you know, I'll get like, well, I'm not your daughter anymore. Okay. Come here. Let me hug you. I love you. Kind of thing. It's just, that's, that's a four-year-old's mentality. Don't let that be your mentality. I mean, there's immaturity there. She hasn't developed yet. And that's just, you know, she's a little kid. Are you that way with God? I mean, really dig, dig, dig deep down within you. Do you set conditions? I've been praying this prayer for 40 years, God. I've been hoping this hope. And God, honestly, I know you're faithful, but... We don't allow an I love you, but are we going to allow an I know you're faithful God, but are we going to allow those buts with God? I don't know. I don't think we can. Barak gives us a good example here. If we really pay attention to him. Yeah, God doesn't, thank you, Daniel. God doesn't like it when we move the goalposts because of it reeks of insincerity. That's what it is, moving the goalposts. Okay, God, I want this. Great, you gave me that. Well, you know what? I know I'm going to trust you, God, but I want this now. It's just, it's not, it's just not faithful. It's just not trusting. It's many things, but there's, there's doubt in that kind of faith, not trust. But let's, let's go to the song. Oh, character analysis. We got to analyze these characters real quick. In her relative weakness in a patriarchal world, Deborah proves to be God's answer. She willingly shows initiative and great faith to spearhead the demise of the mighty Canaanite king and his unbeatable commander. 
She is just one more example of God using the weaker things in the eyes of the world to confound the wise and the mighty. God brings down the arrogant and powerful in his sovereign timing and manner. Go, Deborah, go. Go, Deborah, go. Ah, here we go. Simply put, if Ehud was no Othniel, then Barak was no Ehud. When you're given a command from God and assurance from God, you're still unwilling to obey. That's serious. It just highlights the moral depravity of Israel. Even though Barak would technically get the victory, he wastes so much time and energy trying to obtain the prize, he'd already forfeited. He wins the battle, and this is a testimony to his faith. But he loses the opportunity to be used by God, at least in a way that Jael and Deborah were in a way. It's, I'm not going to play with God's sovereignty here. All I know is that God expected him to go, and he didn't, and God's plan was otherwise. Yeah, Philip texted in, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen. Jael risked her own life to deliver a people that was, she was not even a part of. Did you catch that? She's one more Gentile gal that steps up for God's people. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't an Israelite. She steps up to deliver a people she wasn't even a part of. She could have easily stayed on the sidelines of history and not gotten involved. Like the scheming Ehud, this female desert spider drew her prey into a trap and killed him. Wow. There you go. There's some characters for you. Who are you like? Who do you need to be like? Who do you not need to be like? Let's go to the song here, chapter 5. We're going to rock this. Where did my page go? Shame on you. Here we go. All right. On that day, this is a song of Deborah and Barak. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. And we are in the first verse, 1 to 8. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, there he is, son of Anat, in the days of Jael, look who's getting mentioned. All right. The highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I... Deborah arose. Until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Well, the song is, it begins with praise. This first verse is all about praise. And uh, Jael is like mighty Shamgar. She was a foreigner who used a domestic tool. Okay. Shamgar had something a, a farmer would use, and um, Jael used something that um, a husband or a homemaker would use. You know, pitch your tent. There you go, to deliver Israel. Verse one's all about praise, and you know what? Just a little bit of shame. Where were you, Israel? Where were those swords and shields that we needed? Nothing was going to happen until I arose, and then God did it. Wow, verses 3 to 5 even kind of look like an epiphany. 
God's doing this. Look at what God's doing with the storms and the pouring and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. Second verse, 9 to 13. 9 to 13. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of the, his villages in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. Arise, Barak. Take captive your captive, son of Abinoam. The remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Once again, an invocation to praise God. This mighty God, inspired by all those who volunteered in the battles, God's righteous deeds and the responses of the faithful elicit a song of praise, a cry of encouragement on the threshold of war. So we're getting to the point where life is really rough and we got to get people to stand up. Now people are starting to stand up. Here we go. God's going to do something great. Here we go. A third verse, 14 to 18. Some came from Ephraim whose roots were in Amalek, Benjamin with his, with his people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the district of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Womp, 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 womp. Oh, Reuben, you're searching your heart. Get off your butt, Reuben, come on. Oh, they're searching their heart. When all is said and done, what's that old line? When all is said and done, more often is said than done. That's, that's Reuben, right? Reuben is much searching of heart. Well, whatever, let's pray about it. Sometimes we pray about things a little bit too long. We use it as an excuse. It's like, keep praying and then get busy. Be faithful. Do what needs to be done. Make the next right step. Okay, Reuben, there's much searching of heart. That's just the way it is. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan and Dan. Why did Dan linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Well, the song continues by recognizing the tribes that participated and also serving notice to the ones who did not. We hear this word makir. Makir, we find out in Genesis 50, is a subdivision of the tribe of Manasseh. So Manasseh is mentioned here. Gilead, some say, is the, is the tribe Gad, but was also the son of Machir, son of Manasseh, in Numbers 27. So Manasseh is representing here. Uh, next comes the taunting of Reuben. There's no action. Um, yeah, Dan and Asher, they were the seagoing shipbuilders. They were the ones who did all the Phoenician. They were the ones who prospered alongside Jezebel's people, the Phoenicians. And they didn't get in the battle. What were they doing? Um, they probably didn't want to jeopardize their financial stability. And um, yeah, there's just people who are showing up, people who aren't. And, you know, they do this in baseball. Every once in a while, you'll see a, uh, a bench clearing brawl where there's like a fight on the field or someone throws a pitch, it hits the batter and the batter takes umbrage and charges the mound and the pitcher's there. What happens? You will see this dugout on the right and this dugout on the left Everybody comes out. But one thing you also see from the outfield, you'll see guys who have jackets on start slowly running in from the bullpen. Why do they do that? Because if you don't get onto the field, 
and you don't show up for your teammates and risk maybe even getting thrown out of the game or risk some physical, you know, if you don't do that, you're going to lose respect from your team. I had that moment where I was talking with my dad one time, uh, talking to my dad and my brother. Um, I, had, I had a decision to make. It was when I was going to play my one year of college football. And it was, I, I, had, I had two places I needed to be. One was a more church or ministry related thing. The second was football, hell week. And the coach gave me a free pass. He says, he, he said, Bradshaw, it's okay. We get it. You, you know, you've got, you've got to be do for your, the college Bible group I was a part of. And they had their away, like kind of a camping, you know, devotional retreat kind of thing. It was the same week. I needed to go to that, but it was also hell week. And I remember talking to my dad and talking to my brother. And, and I remember my dad saying, you know, and my, my brother said the same thing, essentially, you know, Joel, you've got two choices there, but just remember this. If you want any chance of your football teammates to listen to you, to respect you, any of that, you got to show up to Hell Week. You got to be there during the two a days and the three a days and the stifling August heat. You got to do that. I don't care if the coach is giving you a, a, an attaboy. Just go on. You do what you got to do. No worries. You got to be there or your teammates are never going to respect you. They're never. And that's the way it is on the baseball. You get, you got to go out there. That's what's happening here. It's like there were, there were, all the tribes should have shown up. This was the all hands on deck moment. And by the way, I chose to stay for hell week and it was hard, but I'll never forget it. And my teammates, I think had respect for me because of that, even though I really had no place on that team. I was just a walk on, but I, I stayed the course, but it all started with that hell week. I had to be there. Tribes, some showed up, some did what, what does this show? There's not unity with politics here with Israel. Not unity at all when it comes to what needs to be done. Yeah. Even with the military, certain tribes were unwilling to make sacrifices for the sake of the nation, and they're rebuked. Rebuked. Well, verse 4, we go, fourth verse, 19 to 23. I skipped something here. Hold on a second. Gilead. All right. Yes, okay, pardon me. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Ta'anak by the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder or, or silver. From the heavens, the stars fought. Interesting. You could spend a lot of time on that verse, I guess. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age-old river. The river Kishon, march on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Moroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse his people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help those against the mighty. 19 to 23. In the ancient world, armies were often comprised of troops, from numerous vassal states, when these vassals joined Sisera, they had no success, therefore no plunder. This poem gives us divine intervention here, a storm of epic proportions overwhelming the technologically superior Canaanite charioteers. Wow. The power of a certain victory turns into the power of a galloping of warriors fleeing for their lives. Wow. This song is dedicated to Israel not getting any glory for the outcome of the battle, but God. Now, this, this Moroz, who the heck is that? 
the angel of the Lord is speaking about that. This, this is like God's angel here. This is like a, a, a theophany. Some would argue a Christophany here. Who is this angel? What's going on here? We're going to get to the angel a little bit later on, especially in the Samson story. But here, what, what's going on here? Who's Morose? We don't know exactly where Morose is. But in a, so in a sense, they represent the Israelites who have taken, who have taken their side on Canaan. Because you're not going to curse the ones who showed up. It doesn't matter how bad you do if you show up. You're there. It's like, okay, you've had a hard day, but you get to the gym. So you don't have the greatest workout of all time. You made it to the gym. You're there. You're, you're playing with house money at that point. You, you, that victory. Workout. Any workout is better than couch at that point, okay? So, yeah, who's this morose? We don't know. But who are the ones getting cursed? The ones who didn't show up. The ones who weren't willing to sacrifice. The ones who stood with Canaan versus standing with their brothers. When that is you, God is not pleased. It's like Jesus' story. There were two brothers. The father said, go work in the field. The first one said, no. But he later did. And the second one said, yeah, I'll do it. And he never did. Which one? Who was the faithful one? Who did what the father wanted him to do? Here, it's like they just didn't show up at all. God is not pleased. Not a good spot to be. Fifth verse, 24 to 31. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, she gave him milk. And a bowl fit for noble, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg. Her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell where he lay. At her feet he sank. This is a great song, I guess. At her feet he sank, he fell where he sank. There he fell dead through the window. By the way, I got to read this. My mom's here. This is, kind of, this is kind of gross. The Hebrew is not, it's not nice to these women here. Okay, I'm just going to say that. All right, but we're going to get there. But just, here we go. Through the window appeared Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice, she cried out, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, sorry, this is kind of gross. Okay, I'm just going to say that the Hebrew kind of makes this yucky, right? Just bear with me. Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? And they define the spoils as women. Women are two for each man. Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera. Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered garments for my neck. All this is plunder. Deborah resumes. So may all your enemies perish, Lord. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had a rest for 40 years. Well, jail, she, she risked everything to uh, execute the enemy of God and to aid God's people. Good job. Some Israelites couldn't even do that. She wasn't even an Israelite as she did that. It's why Ruth is such a good example. Ruth had no business doing what she did. But because she did, 
Boaz noticed. And yeah, he probably noticed her figure because she was pretty tough and pretty strong, but he noticed her character in the text. Ruth, a woman of Hyle, noble character, is matched with Boaz, a man of, of a Hyle. Can't forget Rahab. Thanks, Daniel. Exactly right. She had no business helping out her conquerors. But she did. She, she gets called out by, by Joshua himself. Everyone's dead but her. And whoever she crammed into her house. I kind of got the feeling we're going to see jail in heaven. I'm not her judge. None of that stuff. I'm just saying. She answered the call. Boom. She showed faith. Oh, Sisera. Yeah. The very thing that destroyed his army, he longs for. Remember, they got swept away in the water, and he's longing for water. The song is taking shots at him here. The high and mighty general is forced to beg from a lowly tent-dwelling woman. Oh, then the poem shifts to Sisera's mother, looking out her window, ex waiting expectantly for the return of her son. She and her ladies begin to wonder about the reason for his delay, and their wonderment turns to fantasy as they dream of the booty and plunder that will arrive. They dream of brilliantly colored clothing. And oddly enough, they start dreaming of captured Israelite women. The Hebrew pictures these women more harshly than just, oh, a girl or two. It's like the Hebrew version of broads, babes. Bring back some sexy deers. We want them. We, we, want, we want, each man needs to have one of them. It's like, we don't want to hear this, Grandma. What are you saying this for? Stop. But the text went there. This is where they're at. This is kind of disgusting, kind of a shameful image. They want both material plunder and they want their men to have sexual plunder. I'm just going to just let that sit there for just one second. There are some women who are great heroes in the story, and then there's uh, Cicero's mom and all of her, all of her women. Just uh, the expectations of life. Well, Cicero himself became plunder, I guess. And uh, the conclusion of the song calls on God to bring judgment on all who defy him and for God to bring blessing on all those who love him. That's kind of a cool prayer. God, please judge the ones you were intending to judge and please bless the ones you were intending to bless. That's, that's a great sovereign prayer towards God. Well, the refrain, let me, let me scroll this down here for a second. We got to see the rest of the page here. So the refrain or the chorus is kind of like when you're singing an old hymn, you always sing a verse and you got the chorus to refrain. You always repeat the refrain. Modern music does this too. You can tell what the song's about. Even if you don't know what the song's about, listen to what gets repeated a million times. It could be on the rock station or the Christian station. Same deal. The chorus of the song is usually what the song is going to be called. Something like that. And so the central theme of the song is, well, the central focus of the song, believe it or not, the focus is Israel. The focus is on the tribe, where they're showing up, where they're doing their business, where they're the focus, but they're not the theme. The theme is God. God is faithful. God is praised for his work without 
God, there would be no deliverance. So think about your circumstances. Think about where you are at. Is that who you are? Are your thoughts immediately going to God? Are you trusting him when life gets really, 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 can I add 14 more reallys, hard? Life sometimes stinks, but God is always faithful. When life is at its worst, is your trust at its best? When life is at its worst, is your trust in God at, at its best? That doesn't need to be the song of Deborah and Barack. That needs to be your song. I mean, my goodness, we're told at least two or three times in the Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. If he is your song, then sing. That's it. I trust you, God. I'm calling on your name. Save me. Deliver me. I trust you. Against all odds, I trust you. Mic drop. That's your life. That's a great Old Testament faith. New Testament faith, too. What's the bridge? The bridge, certain songs have a bridge. And the bridge kind of ties everything back to the chorus. Okay, it's kind of like a way to close out the song with one last thing to maybe get your attention. And it brings it right back in. It ties everything together. What's tying everything together here? God made things right. God took care of business. God dealt with the wicked. You know, we live in a time where justice is a huge thing. and People riot in the streets and people are angry in their heart and people are finding ways to just be irked and offended and to become victims and to place themselves in a victim category where they weren't before. And some people are truly going through times of injustice. You think of our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world who happen to be living in like a Muslim majority country or living within communist China, where their very life is on the line just for existing in faith. And it's been that way for 2000 years. The enemies of God. Persecuting God's people. It's comforting that for those who are suffering to know that God takes care of his business. It's easier to trust in God knowing that God has always been faithful and God will be faithful. If God never showed up in the Bible, if God never did once defeat anybody, if God never did once, then the 23rd Psalm makes no sense. Trusting in your shepherd, walking through a valley of the shadow of death, but you're not going to fear because he's there. Who cares? If he's never going to show up and never going to be faithful, then why would you ever trust him? But if he has, then you have a reason to trust him. And you know that God's going to handle his business. You know when we pray, we leave things in God's hands. We know those hands are very capable hands. God has made all things right in the past. He'll make all things right in the future. And even if we'll place ourselves with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we got to get in that flame, we know this. Christ died in our place.
that enemy has been defeated. Worst case scenario, what can man do to me? God has conquered the grave. What's left? So life is hard. Trust God. So it stinks. Trust God. If you can trust God with your salvation, with your unforgivable sins, with your obstinate, stubborn selfishness, if you can trust God with that, you can trust him with what you're facing right now. Make text in. What I love about this account is how God can overcome any, techno any technological advancement we can come up with. People bring iron chariots. God brings rain. Simple rain messed up the big and bad Canaanites. Yeah, rust. Yeah, there you go. How about it? God can destroy the human race through a virus. He can stop technology by the other kind of virus. We can't conceive anything God cannot stop. God always will have the one up. Amen. What song are you singing? Is it a song that celebrates God's glory? Is it a song that celebrates God's victory? Even in the midst of all the ick you're going through. Maybe you're like Barack. Deborah shouting in your ear. And you're still stuck in your conditions. Your conditions might be excuses. Well, I know God's, he's going to do this. And God's, and I'm waiting for God to do this. And then I'm going to, no. If God is clear, obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Trust and obey. That's all we've got. That's right, Philip. God is in the driver's seat. And there's no taking the wheel. There's no shifting any gears. There's no are we there yet. Nothing. God's driving. There's that old bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot. No, he's not, sweetheart. No, he's not. You might be thankful you're in the plane, but God ain't co-piloting anything. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. God bless you guys. This is a big chunk of scripture. But if Deborah and Barack get to sing their song, you do too. I'll see you next week. God bless.